good morning, everyone. Welcome to Genesis Church. I'm so glad that you've chosen to be with us this morning. My name is Ben, and I'm the campus pastor here at our Noblesville campus. Uh, if you were with us last week, you know that we started into a new series called Follow Me. And uh, our staff has been reading through a book by David Platt, uh, also called Follow Me, the same name. And we've been having a lot of discussion around that book. And this series is really born out of that discussion and out of some of the principles that are found uh, in David Platt's book, Follow Me. I, I bring that up this morning just to say that as we continue on in this series, if you find yourself desiring more and desiring uh, to study more into these things, that may be a great resource for you. Uh, if you're unable to be with us last weekend, I want to remind you that you can go online to genesischurch.me and you can listen to the start of this series there. But I want to just give you a brief recap uh, of what we talked about last weekend uh, just to set up where we're going today. Last week, and we spent some time talking about what it means to be a Christian, and I shared with you a statistic uh, that nearly 80% of Americans would identify themselves as Christians, but it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, and the reality is we don't really know anything about someone, about their uh, beliefs in Jesus or their commitment to him simply because they wear that title of Christian, and in many cases, the title has lost its intended purpose and its intended meaning, which was to identify us with Christ and with his mission and with his purpose. And we looked at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 where he says, uh, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. And Jesus goes on to say that, that on the day uh, when we stand before him, that many will say to him, Lord, didn't I do all of these things in your name? And they go on to list all the things that they did for the Lord. And, and his response will simply be, I never knew you. You see, the point is that Jesus never called us to simply wear a title or to wear that name Christian. What he said was, follow me. And it's an invitation that we read about in John chapter 1 last week. And so we want to know, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to know him? And that's what this series is all about. Now, uh, I'm going to condense the entire message from last week into one sentence. Uh, if you are here last week and you feel like you wasted 30 minutes because I'm going to give it to you in 10 seconds, uh, don't. Maybe there were some details in there that were helpful, but, but, but here's what we saw last weekend. It was that Jesus offers an invitation, not to rules, but to a relationship, and that that relationship should lead to obedience and submission on our part. When we understand who we are in relationship to who Jesus is, the only appropriate response for us is to submit to him as Lord. And Genesis Church, we have something to celebrate this morning. Uh, I'm so excited to tell you that uh, last weekend we had several people across both of our campuses accept that invitation to follow Jesus as Lord. Can we celebrate that this morning? These were folks who decided to lay everything else down uh, to follow Jesus and have now crossed over from death into life. And what an awesome thing. I mean, there's no uh, greater excitement for me as a pastor than to know that that, that is occurring uh, here at Genesis Church. And for those of you who have made a similar decision in your life, maybe you remember those initial feelings of, of excitement and appreciation. Maybe you remember those, those early days of learning to follow Jesus and learning what it means to trust him. You remember that anticipation of, Lord, what's next? What do you have for me? And, and just that complete submission of, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. But the problem for many of us is that somewhere along the line, that anticipation and that devotion, it tends to die down. 
And our relationship with Jesus really becomes just another part of our busy lives. We're busy people, aren't we? I mean, we live in a culture that is marked by its busyness. Maybe some of you feel this. I know that our family goes through seasons where it's really difficult to manage all of the busyness. We, we had a season like this just this past fall. We moved back to Noblesville in August. And, and with that, you know, I, w- I was trying to figure out, okay, what does my new role here at the church require of me? And how do I, how do I find that elusive balance between ministry and being a dad and being a husband and even time with the Lord? How do all of these things play together. My wife, Beth Ann, was trying to figure out that balance of unpacking boxes and setting up a new house and painting the house and teaching our kids. We homeschool our, our four kids, and so she was teaching them in the midst of all of that and being a mom and a wife and just everything that comes along with those responsibilities. And two of my kids uh, got parts in a play up in Tipton, which we were really excited about. It was a great thing, but it also required that we would drive 30 minutes one way to play practice, sometimes two or three times a week. And on top of that, you know, we were wanting to reconnect with old friends and and to meet some new friends. And so we were having people into our home and going to people's homes, again, sometimes two, three, four times a week. And I remember just in the midst of all of that busyness thinking, this doesn't seem sustainable. Have any of you been there? Yeah. I mean, I think we all have, right? If we were honest, we've all felt that pressure. And I know for a fact that there is a danger in that busyness. And the danger is this that in the midst of everything else that we've got going on, that that our relationship with Jesus can become just one more thing to manage, one more thing to fit into the schedule. And we we begin to approach God like we approach all of the rest of it. And we begin to compartmentalize our relationship with Jesus. And instead of Jesus being the Lord of our lives, Jesus just becomes what we do on Sunday morning. He's just another thing on the schedule to be managed. The problem with this way of thinking is that God doesn't work that way. A relationship with the Lord doesn't work that way. God will not be compartmentalized. He will not be pushed to the margins of our lives. We said last week that Jesus doesn't want to be a part of your life. Jesus wants to be your life. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. I heard a pastor named Matt Chandler say it this way this week. He said, if your version of Christianity is that Christ is an add-on to other things and he has not affected the way you live your life and the way you see all other things, then you are your own God under the false banner of Christianity. That's the danger we face. It's putting Christ in his place on our schedule instead of letting him put us in our place on his And we're going to spend the rest of this series talking about what it means to follow Jesus because he cannot be an add-on. He must be the thing by which we see all other things. And so I want to talk today about what's next. We, we talked last weekend about the invitation to follow me, that invitation once it's been accepted. What, what now? What next? And we're going to spend the rest of this series really answering that question. But I want to share with you today three words. And these are three words that are going to define our relationship with Jesus. Two of them are admittedly uh, big churchy words, okay? One of them is more um, culturally understandable for us as Americans. The other two are going to feel not quite as comfortable. Um, But but these three words are really going to help us build the framework 
to answer that question of what now in our following after Jesus. We're going to move fairly quickly through the first two words to get to the third one because the third word is where the payoff really is this morning. And I want to encourage you that this may be a great morning for you to have a pen in hand. We're going to move quickly through a lot of verses and a lot of different ideas. And there may be some things that you want to go back to later to look up and to study on your own. So I encourage you this morning uh, to, to maybe do that and to have a pen in hand to take some stuff down. But these three words and these three specific things happen when we decide to submit to the lordship of Jesus. The first word is this. If you're taking notes, it's justification. The word is justification. Now, justification is a legal term, and it means this. Justification is the removal of the guilt and the penalty of sin. It's the removal of the guilt and the penalty of sin. Now, justification comes from the same root word where we get the word justice. And we as Americans love justice. If you wonder if that's a true statement, turn your TV on any night of the week after 8 p.m. and you can choose from a number of different shows that are all about justice, crime scene investigations, and courtroom dramas. It's the reason we now have three, count them three, CSIs that we can choose from on TV, okay? I'm just waiting for a CSI Cicero. I think there's a market there for it, okay? A lot of crazy stuff happens there. But we as Americans, we, we love justice. But I wonder... Would we be uh, equally drawn to those stories of justice if, if at the end of those shows and those stories, the one who has been found guilty was let to go free? What if at the end of every show, someone stepped in and said, this man or this woman is clearly the guilty party, and I'm not. I'm an innocent bystander, but I will step in, and I will take the punishment for them, and they get to go free. And the guilty person walks out of court, a free man or a free woman. That doesn't seem right, does it? That, that doesn't seem fair. I don't think it would lead toward good ratings for a TV show for the guilty person to always get to walk free. But when we talk about justification, this is exactly what we're talking about. It's the removal of the guilt and the penalty of sin by Jesus Christ. I shared with you last week the verse out of Romans chapter 3 that says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Understand this. We are the guilty party. You have sinned, and I have sinned. We're the guilty ones. We're guilty of sinning against a holy, perfect God. And as we read on in the book of Romans, we find Romans 6.23 that says, For the wages of sin is death. So that's the penalty right there, okay? The penalty for sin is death, eternal separation from God. But the gift of God, it says, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then we read in Romans 5.8 where it says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So here's what has happened. We sinned. We were guilty. The punishment due to us was death and hell. But because of his great love for us, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us from the guilt and the penalty of sin. Jesus stepped into our sin and he said, I'll take the punishment. You go free. And to understand in even greater detail what this justification required of our Lord, I want to read just a portion of Isaiah 53. And keep in mind, as I read these words, they were written nearly 700 years before Christ walked the earth. But here's what it says in Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. It says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. 
We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on that die. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And I just I encourage you to go and to read all of Isaiah 53 sometime this week. It's the whole thing is a picture of what our justification cost our Lord. Our sin demanded justice, and justice was served, but it was served onto the holy, sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ. And because of what Christ did for us on the cross, we were able to be made right before God, to come into that right relationship that we talked about last week. When we submit to Jesus' lordship in our lives, justification is ours immediately. The penalty is canceled, the debt is forgiven, and we walk free. And something else happens as well. It's the second word this morning, and and it's the one that I told you is going to be more familiar. It's this term adoption. And we talked about adoption a little bit last weekend, that when we submit to Jesus' lordship, we're adopted into his family and into his kingdom. Look at what Galatians chapter 4 has to say about our adoption. It says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Listen, through Jesus Christ, we've been given the great privilege of being called sons and daughters of God, of calling him our father and relating to him as his children. That's why John 1.12 says that to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And I shared with you a little bit last weekend about our adoption story. In 2009, my wife and I adopted our son Josiah, and though he came into our family in a very different way than our girls did, um, he is equally our child and equally our son. We've claimed him as our own, and we have gone to great lengths to make sure that his place is secure in our family. And Josiah now bears my name, and he enjoys all the benefits of being a Kraus, okay? <laughs> and there are great benefits to being a Kraus. Josiah sleeps under my roof. He eats at my table. He wrestles and dances and plays with transformers on my living room floor. And he attacks his sisters and their friends in my yard. (laughs) Why? Because it brings me great pleasure to share everything that I have with my son, Josiah. And one day, because, you know, Josiah is my son, along with our other children, he will receive a portion of our inheritance. He, he will inherit a portion of all that we have because he is now an heir. And in the same way, when you submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, you become a child of God. You become adopted into his family. And you, too, are given a new name and a new identity. You no longer are identified by your sin. You're identified by the righteousness of Christ. You're a new creation, and you're called a son or a daughter of God, and you're given a place at God's table, and you're brought under his protection and his love and his care, and you're given an inheritance. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish. It can never spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept for you in heaven. 
because of our adoption, we have something to look forward to. There's more to come, and it's our inheritance as children of God to his eternal presence. And he's given us a hope and a future in heaven. So we've been justified by God, and we've been adopted into his family. And then after that, everything is perfect We never sin again. We never have a bad thought again. No more pride. No more selfishness. It's all gravy from that point forward, right? Not really. We think that way sometimes, though, don't we? We wonder why things don't change right away. You know, if I'm justified and I'm adopted, then why am I still having these thoughts? You know, why did I use that language? Why am I still acting this way? I think we've all been there, if we would be honest. And my friend Megan was willing to share how this has played out in her life. Check out this video. My name is Megan Perry. Um, Growing up, I didn't attend church on a regular basis. We went when you were supposed to go, Christmas and Easter and all of those fun times. And then in 2009, we found Genesis, and um, I had been baptized um, in high school, and when we found Genesis, it just felt like home, and it's been a very slow process, um, a learning process. Um, I would say within the past two years is when my faith has really taken off and grown. John and the kids and I, got home from an outing and we had been trying to teach Alex, who's three, um, to look both ways before he crosses the road. And being a three-year-old boy, he still doesn't listen very well. Um, We got out of our car and went to cross the road at our apartment complex and a lady ran the stop sign and came not even two feet from Alex because right when she did that, he darted, I screamed, John screamed and ran after him. Um, She gave me the look like, really lady, control your kid. And at that moment, I don't know if it was, I don't know what it was, but anger completely took over me. And as John was taking the kids in the house, I got in the car and I chased after this poor woman. And she had stopped, and I got out of the car, and I just let into her and screaming. And she said, lady, you need to get in your car. And I said, no, you need to get out of your car. And I thank God daily that she did not get out of her car because I probably would have gone to jail. But then afterwards, I went home, and I sat on the couch, and I I looked at John, and I said, what did I do? And he goes, well, you got kind of angry. And I was like, no, I, you know, I'm, I'm a woman who's supposed to be showing my kids what a Christian is and showing my friends what a Christian is. And, you know, I attend church regularly. I listen to Caleb regularly. And there I am screaming these terrible words to this poor woman. And, I felt this tremendous amount of guilt. And of course, I have no idea who this woman is. But as a Christian, 
I shouldn't act like that. And I, I do. And, and I got on Facebook and it was like, why? Why? I, how do I get rid of this guilt? And if I'm a Christian, why do I still act like this? So have you been there? Let me rephrase that. You have been there, right? Every one of us, as we are pursuing after God, we found ourselves in that moment. And the details of your story are probably different, but it is the same story. Because it's the story of the struggle between who we used to be and who we are becoming. It's the story of putting our old self to death and learning what it means to live into our new identity as sons and daughters of God. And the third word I want us to understand this morning is this. It's sanctification. Sanctification. Now, this is admittedly the biggest and churchiest word of the three, okay? So let's just get it out there. I'm going to say it a lot this morning, and I may get tongue-tied on it. But sanctification, it means literally a separation. Sanctification is a, separ- a separation. It means separated. It means set apart. Sanctification is the process by which we are made more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And at the same time, we are becoming less and less like the world around us. And it's vitally important for us to understand this word if we want to answer the question of what next in our following after Jesus. Sanctification is the answer to what next. It's what happens between justification slash adoption and the end of our lives here on planet Earth. And there are three components to sanctification. The first is this. It's, it's a positional separation positional separation. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.30, and I'm going to read this out of the English Standard uh, Version. This is the version I usually read from, and I like the wording uh, of this, this particular passage in the ESV. It says, and because of him, speaking of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. This is to say that at our salvation, the moment that we submit to Jesus as Lord and Savior, that there is a once and for all positional separation from the world and to Christ that takes place. Where once we were separated from God to the world, now we are separated from the world and to God. And like justification and adoption, this positional separation is immediate. It happens immediately, but there's more to sanctification than just this positional separation. There's also a practical change because of our positional separation, and it's the second part of sanctification, and this is a progressive separation. It's a transformation that happens over time as we change uh, to become more and more like Jesus. And when I think about this progressive separation, my mind goes to Galatians chapter 5, where Paul talks about uh, two forces that are in conflict with each other. And I know you all have been dying to see what's on my homemade signs, so here we go. Okay, These are the two forces that are in conflict with one another. The first is this. It's our flesh. It's our flesh, and we're going to talk more about what that is and what it means and how it plays out in our life. The other force that's in conflict within us as followers of Jesus Christ is the Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God. And Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5 that that these two things are in conflict, the the person that we used to be and the the identity that we are moving into. Let's read it together. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, it says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. And do you see the distinction that Paul is making here? Either you are separated from God and to the flesh, or you are separated from the flesh and to God, but the two cannot coexist. Think about what happens when you have two magnets, and when they're turned the wrong way and you try to push them together, that friction, that force that's there just pushes apart, and they cannot be combined. That's the kind of friction that Paul's talking about when he talks about this conflict between the flesh and the spirit. They cannot go together. They cannot coexist. And Paul goes on, just so there's no confusion, to tell us exactly and specifically what each of these things means. He gives us two lists found in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to refer to them throughout the rest of this message as list A and list B, okay? List A is what it means to be separated to the flesh. Let's look at it. It starts in, chapter, or in verse 19, Galatians 5, 19. This is list A. The acts of the flesh are obvious, and let's just pause right there, okay? He, he takes away any notion that these things would be hard to understand or that we wouldn't really know. He says, no, it's obvious. And then he lays them out. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, which is excessive indulgence. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And there's that inheritance language again. But this is what it looks like to be separated from God to the flesh. But listen, he also tells us what it looks like to be separated to God from the flesh to his Holy Spirit. This is list B. And he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, and it's patience. And I know that the screen says forbearance, but 37 years of learning patience will not let me say anything else. But forbearance means patience, okay? It's kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says, against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Folks, in the plainest way that I can put it, our progressive sanctification is moving from list A to list B. Okay, it's replacing what used to be true in your life. When we lived in the flesh, our old way of living, our old way of thinking, all of the things that he listed out, and moving into life by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit in your life and in your mind. And this doesn't happen overnight, and it cannot happen by your own power alone. In fact, this progressive sanctification is a lifelong process, and it requires the work of the Spirit of God. None of us are done yet. If you are still breathing, then you are still in this process. You know, it's so interesting to me when I talk to, to followers of Christ who are mature in their faith uh, about this topic, they always say the same thing. They'll always say something like, you know, God's still working on me. You know, I'm still a work in progress. And these are sometimes people who have been walking with the Lord for a long time, people who are 70, 80, even 90 years old who say these things to me. I think about my friend Bob Haas. We've got a picture of Bob here. My, my friend Bob passed away uh, this last summer. 
and Bob was a, a dear friend to me, and, and he was the most humble and loving man I think I've ever met. When I think of someone who just exhibited the fruit of the Spirit, I think about Bob Haas. In fact, as I look at, at Bob's life in my own eyes, uh, it seems hard to comprehend that he could have moved any more forward in the things of the Spirit. His life was so marked by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness, self-control. All of these things just poured out of Bob's life. But if you tried to give Bob a compliment or to tell him that you appreciated you know, how well that he did any of these things or that he had been an example to you, his response was always the same. His head would immediately bow. His eyes would hit the floor, and he would get a nervous smile on his face, and he would just shake his head. He didn't know what to say, but he didn't want to accept that, that compliment because what Bob knew was that he still had room to grow. What Bob knew was that even as far on the road as he'd gone and in the work that he'd allowed the Lord to do in his heart and his life, that he had not yet reached the finish line. Bob knew that, that it wasn't going to be reached while he was still in the flesh, but he knew this promise from Scripture, Philippians 1.6. That says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's when this work will be finished, when Christ comes again. But until then, it should be our priority to pursue this work in our lives. That's why uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 says that we should be making every effort toward these things. So what does that effort look like? What does that partnership with the Holy Spirit in our sanctification look like? Well, I can think of at least three things. The first one is this. It's just time. But this is going to require some time. And we're not a society uh, that likes things to take a long time. Like, we want it right now. But that's not the way that sanctification works. Look at John 15, 4. Jesus says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. That, that word remain, or your Bible might use the word abide. It, it means to stay for some time, to linger, to endure, to carry on. How long? For life. It's a lifelong process of, of walking with Jesus, of studying his word, of learning what it means to trust him. And this all takes time. How many of you have been watching the Olympics we have some, some folks following the Olympics. Did you see this past week uh, when Davis and White took home the gold medal? What a, what a cool moment. And did you know that they met when they were eight years old and started competing when they were 10? I mean, can you imagine that? I, I love what our uh, Carmel campus pastor, Steve Wallen, tweeted when he heard this. Some of you might have seen this, but he said, uh, and his kids are 10 and 12, he said, every time I hear the story of Davis and White, I realize it's too late for my kids to win the Olympics. That was, that was Steve's revelation in their story. But at 10 years old, Davis and White, they were already competing. And if at that time they had started to complain that, you know, why aren't we Olympic champions yet? People would have laughed at them, right? Because to become a champion, it takes practice and it takes time. And in the same way, our sanctification is going to take that same kind of time. It's going to take time with the Lord, time for him to shape us and to mold us into the likeness of Christ. So sanctification, it takes time. It's also going to take obedience. It's going to take some obedience on our part. Look at Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. 
part of sanctification is this renewing of our minds. When we were separated to the flesh, we used to think thoughts of the flesh, all of those things that were a part of list A. But now we are separated to God, to his spirit, and our thought life should reflect this. But you might say, you know, well, I can't control my thoughts. Things just pop into my head, and, and I can't control what's coming in and what's going out. I can't help it. How can I renew my mind if I can't control my thoughts? Well, the scripture gives us some help on this. 1 Corinthians 10.5 says that we take captive every thought to make it obedient to, to Christ. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is how our minds are renewed, by taking our thoughts captive as a lustful thought or a hateful thought or a greedy thought or a deceitful thought enters your mind. The moment that thought comes in, you say, Father, this thought did not come from you. It came from hell, and that's where I'm sending it back to. And you don't entertain it. You certainly don't act on it, but you take it captive to Christ in that moment. So it takes time, and it takes obedience to taking our thoughts captive to Christ. And you know what happens when we begin to do that, when we begin to let the Spirit work and, and to help us in this taking our thoughts captive to Christ. Over time, those thoughts, they become less powerful, and they become less frequent, and your mind becomes renewed. And your thoughts become more about the things of the Spirit of God, but it takes obedience on our part to do what the Scriptures say, and it, it takes that time that we talked about. And then there's one more thing that's going to be absolutely essential for us to partner with the Lord on this road of sanctification, and it's prayer. I mean, prayer is going to just have to become an absolute priority. Our communication with the one who is affecting this change inside of us has got to become priority number one. One of the things that I pray almost every day is a prayer of, of David that's found in Psalm 139, where he prays this. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's anything offensive in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Can you hear the desperation in David's voice as he writes these words? He's laying his life open before the Lord, and he's saying, God, I want to know you. I want to know you more. I, if there's anything inside of me that's keeping me from you, show it to me. If there's anything inside of me that's offensive to you, I, I want it dealt with, and I want it gone because I want to know you more. And I want to encourage, and I want to challenge you to be praying a very similar prayer on a regular basis, to be partnering with the Lord in your process of sanctification by praying this prayer, God, search me. See if there's anything offensive in me. You know, is there anything that, that's of the flesh that's still hanging on inside of me that I need to release and to give your spirit control in? And don't miss this. All of this progressive separation that we're talking about this morning, and really all of our sanctification is to the ultimate end of glorifying God. Okay, that's what, that's what we're trying to move towards here. This isn't about self-help. This isn't about see how good that I can be. This is all about giving God all the glory that we possibly can with our lives. And part of it has to do with bearing this internal fruit that we've talked about today. Part of it also has to do with bearing external fruit. And we're going to talk more about that in the weeks to come. But it all is going to the glory of God. That's the end goal, is, is glorifying God with our lives in the greatest way that we possibly can. So there's our positional separation where we are once and for all removed from the world and moved into God. 
We are separated from the world and separated to God. There's our progressive separation where we are, are made more and more into the likeness of Christ, where we are moving away from list A, the things of the flesh, and we are moving toward list B, the things that are of the, the spirit. And there is a third component to sanctification that we cannot lose sight of. And it's what we will call a completed separation. It's a completed separation. This is where our sanctification is finally complete. It's, it's a, a complete separation from the presence of evil. And this is the future reality for those who have submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we look forward to the day when our transformation process is finally and, and fully complete. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.3. Again, this is in the English Standard Version, but it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, Christ is coming again for those who have followed him and for those who have known him. And when he comes, we will be made completely new. We will be with him for eternity in a place where there is no more evil and no more pain and no more suffering, no more sickness. And we hope for that day and we long for that day. And sometimes we are so desperate for that day. But until then, we continually put our eyes on the cross of Christ, the one event uh, that has allowed all of, of our, our sanctification to be a possibility, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And once a month here at Genesis Church, we, we take time to celebrate communion together. It's the remembering of, of Christ's body broken for us as we take the bread. And it's remembering his blood spilled for us as we take the juice together. And if you have trusted Jesus as the Lord of your life, we invite you to be a part of this with us. Whether uh, you're regularly a, a part of Genesis Church or not, we invite you as followers of Jesus Christ to be a part of this moment with us. And in your time, you can come and you can take the elements. We've got tables set up at the front and a couple of tables at the back. When you're ready, come and get those elements. Uh, there's two cups stacked together with juice in the top and, and the bread in the bottom. And you can take that back to your seat. And again, in your time, when you're ready, go ahead and take those elements and remember the sacrifice that Christ made for you to secure your justification, your adoption, and your sanctification. But maybe you're here today and, and you haven't taken that step toward submitting to Christ's lordship and you know that it's time. You know that today is the day his spirit is stirring inside of you. He's calling you away from the things of the flesh and toward the things of his spirit. And I want to know that you can take that step this morning. Our prayer team and some of our staff and our elders are going to be in the back of the room as we move into this time of communion and this time of worship. And I invite you uh, to go back and to meet with one of them and to talk what following Jesus looks like. Talk about what it means to make him the Lord of your life, to submit to his lordship in your life. You can do that this morning. Let me pray for us. Father God, it's all about you. It's all about your glory. It's all about your greatness. Father, as we reflect on what you've done through your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, to bring about our justification and our adoption as sons and daughters of, of God and, and our sanctification, Lord, that, that you wouldn't just leave us the way that we are, but that you would continually make us into who we were created to be. Father, we just stand in wonder at your cross at the cross of Jesus Christ, that he would step out of heaven, that he would not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but that he would take on the form of us, of humanity, 
that he would be found as a servant, that he would become obedient to death, even to the horrible, cruel death of the cross. And Lord, that he did that for our freedom. He, he did that so that we would have a hope and a future in heaven with you. Father, I pray that you would find us partnering with you in your work of sanctification. Father, that you would find more and more uh, that the things of the flesh are dying inside of us and that your spirit is becoming more and more the thing that, that we are pursuing, that it is alive and well inside of us, Lord, and that those qualities of love and joy and peace and patience, Father, of kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that these things are increasing in measure in our lives, Lord, as we continue just to submit to and to pursue and to follow Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time to remember Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection and his defeat of sin and death in our lives. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.